When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is going down, everybody? Welcome to the final Wisecrack Show Me the Meaning podcast! Show me the meaning! Of being lonely. Is this a feeling I need to know? I love that our last episode should be copyright strike. Oh yeah, the whoops, oops. Uh, what up everybody, I'm Austin Hayden, I'm joined for the final time by the Show Me the Meaning crew, we have Ryan. Sup film fans? Bye. And we've got Raymond. Uh, I'm looking I'm looking at the link that Matt sent me for the YouTube stream and it has the scream the scream thumbnail on it which which does seem fitting because we are sure. getting our fucking we're getting our fucking throat slit people. Oh no. And I just wanted to say that it's been such a pleasure podcasting with two and three humans and four humans that are all taller than me for the most part. And I'm just glad that we got guests on who were shorter than me every once in a while because then You're a man among This is an audio podcast, yeah. Austin. No one can tell how, how tall we are. But this information has been revealed and it's been <laughs> illuminating for me. And anyway, everybody, thank you so much. Um, as I said, this is the final episode of Show Me the Meaning for various reasons. We have uh, we have we, we are closing shop. Um, we're sad about it. We're not happy about it. But this is the world that we live in. Sometimes things don't go your way. Um, but that is okay because where one thing dies, another thing emerges. And so make sure you stick around to the end of the podcast because we do have some announcements to make about some new projects, podcasts, film podcasts that we have um, in the work and things like that. So definitely make sure to stick around for that. But um, yeah, for the last podcast, we decided to talk about I guess for our last picture show, we decided to talk about The Last Picture Show, the 1971 classic starring Jeff Bridges and Babelicious, Sybil Shepard. And, you know, I'm going I'm to be honest, Cloris Leachman really does it for me in, in this film. Uh, Tim She's Bottoms. She's great. Uh, Timothy Bottoms, and it's obviously directed by Peter Bogdanovich. Um, this is one of the classics of Jeff the new Bridges. Hollywood did I not say Jeff Bridges? Jeff Maybe Bridges. You did. Maybe you did. Babyface. What is he? Nineteen in this film. Yeah. So uh, one of the classics of smoking up the screen. He's looking great in this. Um, and and Sam the Lion is he's one of those guys that if you're a fan of westerns you probably don't know who he is but you're like oh I know that face it's uh, Ben Johnson who I, I had to google because I was like why do I know this fucking face and then I was like oh my god the wild bunch and so many freaking westerns um, but uh, yeah so we're going to talk about the last picture show and then we're going to do some reminiscing talking about some of our favorite memories from the show since this film is all about mood and tone and as Raymond was saying it's kind of light on plot but it's more about just a feel, a vibe, as the kids say these days. So first things first, let's do this. 
Let's let's talk about the film, and then we'll use the film and its themes to open us up into a broader discussion about this podcast, why we love film, nostalgia, what, what does film do for us? Because I think that's kind of one of the things that this film really allows us to do is look at the dying of an old age and kind of welcoming in a new generation. So anyway, let's just go around. I, I um, also will just yeah, to piggyback on that, you know, also uh, uh, it's like, uh, remember Coda just two days ago won Best Picture, right? We're at the we're at the, the, almost like the weird intersection of stream, which is an Apple Plus movie, you know. So it's yeah. like streamers are taking over. It's like we're at a weird intersection mm. of cinema. We can talk about that, but also, uh, uh, like Austin said, we're not going to be just talking about the Last Picture Show here. So definitely, if y'all have any questions for us, just about the podcast, about episodes in the past, about anything about. Show me the meaning. You know, you guys can start putting them in the chat, and we can uh, basically That's start, right. we're start, live. Hit, start yeah. hitting them yeah. at the sound, end. Yeah, yeah, we're sound live off on in the chat. Right we'll do a, a little so impromptu Q and A throughout the yeah. Episode. We'll do basically do a Q and A at the end. You know, if you guys have some good questions. So anyway, take it away, Austin. Yeah. Well, so this is going to be kind of a free form discussion. Um, so let's talk about, I guess. This film, you know, we don't even have to do first impressions. Let's just talk about what do we think about this film, you know? Well, I, I, uh, actually, right. I, I do kind of uh, – had you guys seen the movie before? Because this was my choice. I have. Yeah, yeah. You had seen it. Had you seen it before, Raymond? Yeah. Yes, I saw it in uh, in high school, so it was a, a much-needed rewatch. Okay, cool. So we, Same. So we all, I, I saw we it like 20 years ago. Yeah, I, yeah. I saw it. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually saw it in um, – Film school with Peter Bogdanovich. There it was a. It was an actual. He came with a film print of it, and I had never seen the movie. And he came, and he was awesome. He, uh, if you haven't seen him do interviews, he's really one of the things he's known for is doing like uh, uh, impressions of other famous filmmakers or, or, or actors. So he's doing like John Ford and Alfred Hitchcock and Stanley Kubrick, and he's also uh, his main one that cracked me up was Jimmy Stewart. Not an actor, mm. not a director, an actor, but but he does a great Jimmy Stewart. So. I don't know. He's just a very interesting movie guy, and that's how I saw the movie first. But yeah, we're, okay, what well, are our thoughts then, on this then, movie? Yeah, yeah, you start it off then. So you can, I mean, it can be first impressions, but just let's just freeform this thing. Yeah, dude. I just love, like you said, the vibe of the movie. Uh, uh, Peter Bogdanovich is kind of a, a you know, he's, a, I guess, a quote unquote auteur in, and from that new Hollywood era, but. He's also uh, more so than the other filmmakers that that he he's very much about his influences, right? He's very much about mm. kind of uh, going back into the past and using what works in the past. And uh, you know, he has an awesome book where he's hanging out talking to. Uh, no, it's, he doesn't have the Hitchcock book. That's Truffaut. It's him talking to John Ford. He he's just really into to old Hollywood. And you can see that all over this movie. And this movie's about old Hollywood, too, in a way. You know, it's about the dying of, of this, you know, the, the one thing these people in this small town have, which is a, which is a movie theater. So uh, I, I love the style of it. I love the, the black and white, you know, style. It's a very, I, I guess I'd call it a naturalistic feel. Like, it feels like you're just kind of watching these people live. And it's following a whole bunch of characters. And uh, uh, the other thing I love about the movie is just that um, not only do we get to see Jeff Bridges, who later becomes a star, you know, kind of in, in his infancy, kind of, uh, uh, but uh, what was I going to say? Fucking, like, it sums up multiple generations is my main thing that I love yeah. about the movie, is that, is that it's, it's, it's the passage of time, which is hard to do in a movie because you got two hours, it's usually three acts, mm. and you're kind of like, 
it's it's hard to do a movie that encompasses a long period of time, or or even it, it, even though this is kind of mainly a summer, but you're getting multiple generations take on a long period of time, which is another thing that's hard to do with this cool mm. ensemble cast. So yeah, it, I love that theme of the movie the most. Is just is is. All these kids at the beginning of their life, they have so much to live for. You have all these characters that have lived life and you know had the shit kicked out of them, and uh, uh, and they're looking, you know, they're look, they're living vicariously through them. And then also just being from a small town in Tennessee, I really related to just, you know, hmm. there's shit to do sometimes, and w- w- the movies is where it's at. And I and so I I I, mm. I get being bored. Um, mm. So anyway, those are just a bunch of rambling thoughts of and notes on the movie I had. What, did, what, what are y'all's impressions? Yeah, what about you, Raymond? Um, to pick up where Ryan left off, I, I, I really, I, I think when I first watched this, I don't necessarily want to say it, it like went over my head because I, it's not as though the film is too cerebral, but the movie is about a lot of like wistfulness and uh nostalgia in a way but it's also got Mm -hmm. a very kind of like jaded sense of nostalgia about it um so it's it's one of those things that i don't think like a high schooler is fully emotionally primed to uh to connect with um but on on this watch yeah definitely it definitely resonated quite a bit more and uh ryan i I liked what you were saying about the sort of multi-generational thing that we we kind of touched on that with willy wonka and I, I, you do get the sense in this movie that like Jeff Bridges and Timothy Bottoms are uh, seeing themselves in in Clue Gulliger and Sam, and then they th- uh, those guys are kind of seeing their future in um, uh, you know the coach, and uh, like there's there's just all these sort of these sort of glimpses of, of of what the future has in store or over you know for Sybil Shepherd her future maybe Cloris Leachman or her mom like there's obviously the movie's quite consciously doing that stuff but it's the kind of thing that probably went over yeah. my head um you know 10 or 15 years ago um and it 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 is just i br- i bring up nostalgia and to me, I always think of nostalgia as being like a yearning for the past. And in that way, this movie doesn't feel nostalgic. It feels like hmm. I, I don't I don't I can't quite put, uh, quite put my finger on it. I, I'm sure maybe you guys can help me articulate it at some point. But it there is just a weird kind of acidity to it there. It, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like Peter Bogdanovich is looking back with rose-colored glasses. It seems like this this place is, you know, it's dead. And there there's there's this suffocating and hot and sweaty atmosphere to it and scenes that you know, for example, the uh the the swimming pool scene where she um she disrobes in front of all the other kids and they're all in the pool naked and obviously times were a little bit different back then um but even even allowing for that there's still this very this this very icky sense about it and i think that's intentional but you have this sense as you're watching it that this is just like it's almost inescapable it's almost inevitable like she just she has to do this because like you were saying ryan like what else is there to do that even even if there's there's 
something very concerning about this or her hackles are raised, you still get this sense that like, well, it, it beats, you know, hanging out on this dead end street in a dead end town. And there, there's something kind of magic about that to this movie that like, while these folks are making these kind of like objectively bad decisions and a lot of the time due to, to pressure from outside and other characters or their peers, you still you still don't doubt that they would make those decisions because it's like it's just something to do and there's just a, a in a weird way that this movie feels like it's just so defined by this sense of loss and longing and it it really is it really is kind of beautiful the way that it it, it captures all of that but um I, I don't know what do you think Austin uh, the first time I saw the film, it definitely went over my head. I remembered certain scenes. I remember being told that this was a classic for all the reasons. But uh, it, it didn't quite land on me when I saw it, which was, you know, probably 15, 20 years ago um, when I was in high school or something. Um, and uh, re-watching it now, I was much more attuned to this, like, uh, claustrophobia of being in this small town, of having your path charted for you. I like how you talked about there's like the figures that they could have been were already embodied figures, right? So Sybil Shepherd's character, she's either going to be her mom in a miserable marriage, but she's going to have money, but the only excitement she's going to have is to transgress the marriage contract, which, you know, Sybil Shepherd's whole thing at one point when she's talking about having sex is like with her mom, her mom's like, why don't you just have sex with your boyfriend, you know? And she's like, isn't that a sin? Isn't that a sin? And so there's something about transgression, which makes you think that, oh, in transgression, these people can find freedom, but that's actually not true, because in transgression, you just simply mimic what everybody else is doing. So there's actually no freedom. There's nothing. The only freedom is death in this in this film. The only freedom is when you actually die. Like, even getting out and going to Dallas like, uh, like she does at the end of the film, I still feel like, oh, she's going to end up back in that town or she's just going to be, like, fitting out that carved path that was laid out for her. So it's a very it's sort the, of... The path of least resistance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and so I was thinking a lot about like this claustrophobic feel. And then I was also thinking, I love what you said, Raymond, about it not feeling like nostalgia because nostalgia tends to romanticize a past, whereas this one seems to be bemoaning while also at the same time highlighting the reality that transitions always take place, right? The transition from childhood to adulthood um, is, is the transition from cinema as being the dominant media form to television, the the transition from you know um, uh, a film to digital in in cinema that you see a lot of like contemporary filmmakers over the last twenty years complaining about, and now the transition from theater to streaming at home, which is related to the digital revolution. But so there's this idea of transition that Bogdanovich is talking about is almost being like a fall. It's almost like a it's almost like a like a religious fall narrative, and the fact that this takes place in Texas which is a very conservative Christian town, especially it's made in the 70s, takes place in the 1950s, filmed in black and white. I think we're supposed to get the feel of 1950s claustrophobia, um, the the death of the old world, and the type of particular transition that was confronting people at that time. And maybe what Bogdanovich is saying is that the reason we're in a crisis of cinema that we are now in the 1970s is because of what happened in the 1950s. And this is, we're living now downstream from this and we're suffering from this. And so this is our efforts to find that freedom, to transgress, 
right? To, to bring cinema back um, in some ways. Maybe there's something in that. Even if it's not conscious that he's trying to do that, there's something in his vitality, you know, that he was a stage actor. So, like, he comes out of, like, this need to, like, perform and, and do things. So, so in my mind, I'm thinking of, oh, it's, it's his way of, like, kind of just libidinally being like, we need to fucking break free, which libido is so important because this film is all about these horny fucking teenagers and these disgruntled horny adults who, like, they're trying to, again, just find a release for something, but there's nothing to fucking do in this town. And so then you have the theater, and what does the theater give them? Not an escape. I don't like thinking of media and art and things like that as an escape. I think that's a really sort of common thing that people talk about but I don't think it's an escape I think I think it's more than that it's something more productive than that it's a it's a place to actually stimulate new ideas for what the world can be or to interpret how the world once was and of course they're listening to fucking Hank Williams Jr. or Hank Williams not Jr. they're listening to Hank Williams <laughs> constantly diegetically in camera it's that same friggin you're cheating heart blah 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 you know or whatever it's the same freaking songs over and over again so again there's a repetition and then they're watching westerns because they're in Texas, and this is like the the, the 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 story of their lives. So there's just something about that that I think is what really struck me this time around. It's, it's so weird. Uh, yeah. I, I had to double check when I was watching this that this this came out two years before American Graffiti because it feels like a direct rebuke of that movie. It, it <laughs> right? feels like the evil, it's so good. the evil twin, you know, of American yes. Graffiti. But what, what were you gonna yes. say, Ryan? Um. Fuck! What the fuck was I going to say? Uh, oh well, uh, 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 there was something else, but but about specifically about the Western point you were making, Austin. Uh, yeah, I mean, also especially in film school, I remember them talking like you know, the, obviously the Western is about America, right? It's about the story yeah. of our the country that you're in, and and so you're watching kind of the inspired, like uh, entertaining, um, you know, like like what's the word uh, uh, optimistic view of America. And then you're kind of like also it's, but the movie is set in this dying town with these people who are basically depressed to be there. Um, and then a bunch of kids who don't know any better uh, or, or what's coming to them. And so, yeah, it's kind of almost like an ironic choice to have these Westerns there. And I agree. Oh yeah. And I also, the other thing I was gonna say is I agree with you. I, I'm, uh, you said it really well about, uh, uh, the word escape and stuff and how people use movies like, oh, it's almost like our lives suck so bad, but we got to go watch movies to get away from them. I agree with what you said. It's a, it's a, their, their entertainment, you know, to, uh, to, to a lot of people, but also the, yeah, the places that have new ideas exposed to you and you're, you know, and you're seeing new things that you would never have thought about on your own uh, and surprises baby the whole time. Um, so yeah, I think that what you said was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so normally at this point what we do is we go into a recap um let's just do like a real loose form recap we don't need to go into all the ins and the outs and stuff like that basically it's about a group of people in small town texas particularly a bunch of teenagers who are about to graduate uh they're all horny for different people they're all trying to find their way uh, and then you also have these adults. You've got Sam the Lion, who runs the local pool hall, who also kind of figures as a sort of father figure for a couple of, 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 the, of the kids. Um, you've got a diner um, where that they frequent. That they frequent. Um, you've got uh, the lonely housewife who's married to the coach at the school who ends up striking up a fair with one of the teenagers. Some of the kids want to have sex. They're all obsessed with sex, but none of them are having it. And then even when they do have it, they don't have good sex. And then they don't really understand what they're doing with their sexuality. So there's just this really paltry exploration of sexuality which is not like 
the fault of the film. It's because, especially in, in conservative parts of the country, they don't teach you what good sex is. You know, the, the best that they'll ever do is teach you maybe to fucking what safe sex is. But even then, it's they never teach you what good sex is. So it's just bad sex, bad sex and bad sexuality, bad desire. There's nothing to do in this freaking town. Uh, so then you got Jeff Bridges and his girl who have been going together for a while. That's Sybil Shepherd. His name's Dwayne. What was her name again? I forget her character's name. Um, JC. JC. So, yeah, and JC ends up kind of like striking out on her own and feeling like she needs to do something because she's looking at the monotony of everyday life. Her mom even says that, right? You do something enough times and it just becomes monotonous and boring. So she's feeling this entrapment that she's got to go out and try something different. So she goes to this like freaking naked pool party and tries to make out with people. Maybe she's going to find her joy there. But even then, her solution is always conservative. I'm just going to marry this other guy, right? And so then she ends up, uh, none of that ends up working out and giving her her jollies like she thought it might. So she ends up marrying. Marion, Timothy Bottoms' character, totally forgot his name at the moment. Um, she, what's his name? God damn it, uh, not JC. Dwayne. I just saw the fucking thing. <laughs> JC. Uh, no, Bottoms. I just saw no, it too. Sonny. Sonny, that's right. She marries Sonny just so she can piss her parents off, but she doesn't really want to do it because she leaves a, a note for them so that they'll track her down and like get the annulment and stop the marriage. That ends up happening. So she's getting a little bit of excitement, all at the expense of Sonny. And um, basically at the end, what ends up happening is the local, I guess he's deaf, but is he also like cognitively disabled? They don't really explain. He gets ended up getting hit by a car and dying. And he was kind of like one of the boys that the other boys kind of took care of or sometimes like put in shitty situations. Um, He ends up dying and you kind of get this whole theme about um, like death and like a generational Um, conflict as well where like the older people in the town just don't understand the kids these days sort of thing and the film ultimately finishes off with Dwayne played by Jeff Bridges who's going to get ready to go off to Korea um, having one final stay in the town meeting up with his buddy Sonny and trying to figure out what they're going to do in town they go to see the final screening at the local movie theater that's why it's called The Last Picture Show and they go see this film it's a John Wayne western they go see it they go see it and then they fucking bail and there's nothing else to do in the town because the town is about to die as well. So what else? Did I miss anything else? This is basically these are kind of the Pretty themes. And- hey, all you true crime fans. This is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morf. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. You, I think you. there were probably a bunch of people who... Uh, turned off the podcast because you said i'm not gonna do one of the long recaps and of course everyone (laughs) wants the patented long recap this is your last chance to do one of the absurdly long recaps but then you redeemed yourself that was still a pretty long recap (laughs) it's pretty long yeah okay (laughs) um yeah i I think uh you know you you kind of close the loop there saying oh the the last uh the last picture show as the one that they attend in movie. Uh, what, what do you guys think about the title as it applies to um, uh, the film itself rather than the film within the film? Any uh, uh, a- Anything to shake loose there? Uh, is it worth uh, barking up that tree? I mean, um, is this film a, a film, a, 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 a sort of like bemoaning of the death of the picture show, that there are no more picture shows, that somehow... 
the last picture show ended in the 19... Like, we don't have them anymore. And so this film is kind of a weird, ironic statement because it itself is a, quote, picture show. But maybe it's saying that the picture show is dead. Like, there is no more the picture show. Now we have cinema. Now we have something else. Now we have celebrities and movies, which I guess they had, but I, under I the studio system, maybe they were different. I don't know. I'm I, just I, I don't think it's say that because, I mean, I think, I mean, movies existed outside of their town. It's just that their town was dying, you know? And, uh, 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 the, uh, so uh, another like little w- weird fact is that you know the, the the town in Red River is like is like Abilene the the cow town and then which is kind of a uh, you know uh, he, he named the town that they're in what is it Aranine or something Aranine uh, yeah uh, to to uh, or Anarine to to Anarine yeah. yeah yeah so like like that that was an obvious homage to the movie that itself so I think he I think he's more just commenting. Uh, you know, this is based on a book, a dude's basically a biography, even though he claims that, it, you know, it, it, he made a lot of it up. But uh, but people in the town are like, ooh, I think this person was this person, this person was this person. <laughs> so I, I think this is more about this, you know, towns like this and and the people in them and and just what the picture show itself means to a town. Like if if basically you don't have like what you were saying, the stories and uh, and stuff, the, 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 the things to make us give us new ideas what do you have in the town even though obviously pictures the pictures were relatively new even i guess in the 50s um but it's kind of like like it's more of just a symbol of hope for the town and if you're taking that away i think you know because the movie is pretty dark and depressing right like like yeah and so i think that that is kind of a i don't know cinematic visual allusion to that there, there is a weird thing with it that um, not just with the like the ravages of time wearing down the building itself, but you you, you kind of um, triggered something in my mind there, Ryan, this notion that, you know, maybe that maybe that theater was once a symbol of modernity on a pretty quiet small town street. And now it's like it's it's kind of a symbol of antiquity in a way. And it's just it's kind of rusting away with the rest of the town, whereas, you know, maybe before it it uh, was indicative of promise and potential and thought, oh, yeah, it's going to it's going to liven up the main street and uh, it'll bring people in. And and this town is really booming and we'll we're going to grow. And, and now it's just like, oh, yeah, it's 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 pretty quaint compared to uh like you said, there are probably movie palaces out in the bigger cities and stuff like that, and it in just Dallas. And it's yeah. yeah, and it's kind of getting left behind. This this notion, uh, Austin, you had mentioned uh, as the uh, the uh, person who runs the theater in the, in the picture um, that you know television is on its way in. There's a lot of hand wringing then in the uh, in the motion picture business that they would be put under by TV and yeah, there we go. Movies going straight into people's homes and what have you and. Um, you know, it seems, it seems now like there's no, there's nothing new under the sun because we obviously we, we can talk a little bit about like those, those same sort of arguments get dusted off with streaming and, and what have you. Um, it, it, it really is, but it, it is kind of a, a, a poignant symbol the this sort of like paragon of technological advancement just, going to pot with the rest of uh, this this little era this little town that's why i wonder so it's almost like the town dies as the picture show dies 
The picture show dies because of the new technological advancements in media dissemination, which is television, which, as the woman says who runs the theater, is always all the time, which means that you never get a, a break in between, and it also means that there isn't anything unique about the experience. Like, if everything is media, then is anything media, right? It's like, if right. everything is a something, is 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 it ever actually anything, right? Like, if everything is hot dogs, then nothing is hot dogs, right? Because there's well, nothing sure. to <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that'd be a fucking great one. No, world. but um, it is that but, thing of yeah, like so, when, so when everything is lumped into the into the content bubble of, you know, the the movie and the review of the movie and the reaction to the review of the movie. This is something you guys uh, probably uh scratched around the surface of with uh, Bo Burnham's inside that episode. Um, mm. that he's he's clearly commenting on and that that there there is something there is something lost and I, I mean maybe we can talk a little bit about the Oscars for example there like there is a real sense now increasingly so that I think for a long time as Oscar ratings have kind of gone down and down I I'd say it's pretty conventional wisdom that movies don't hold the same cultural purchase that they once did but i i didn't watch the oscars this year but having seen reactions to it online and seeing clips of it oh this this seems like the year where like the people at the oscars found out about the oscars not being all that important anymore hey like, hey, hey keep keep that name out your oh fucking boy. mouth oh my god keep oh, man. keep uh, that work keep oh i'm glad you but, brought up the whole Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, no, no, I was just going to put a button on that, that it just, it, it does seem like uh, maybe the folks who make the movies are finally getting the memo, and it's not, I'm not saying that, I'm not dancing on the grave of cinema, obviously I fucking love movies, but it it is weird to see people recognizing, like, the call coming from inside the house for the first time in what seems like forever. What were you going to say, Ryan? Um, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the whole streaming and TV thing and stuff. Cause yeah, like, like I, I kind of, uh, when I was given my whole take on it a minute ago, I left, I, I kind of said the opposite of that. And, but I more so agree with you that, that, uh, uh, we're basically in the exact same time period as what the last picture show was depicting. And this, in the sense that like we all are saying, like this media transformation, but I think I do think it's worse, and I do think that they're almost more dead than they've ever been, even because you know I I mean when you guys were growing up, movies were huge, right? Like I remember going to Jurassic Park and Aladdin and all that yes. shit, and it just it was a big part of my life. It was like, a thing. Yes, it, like they did not die like they thought they were going to in the Last Picture Show, right? So, which is interesting to me that uh, uh that, but have they died now? Because well, I yeah I, I do I think that often, they are, like there's this fucking new TV. There's this new miniseries called DMZ that my partner just like randomly. She was like, I don't know. I just fucking threw it on because Rosario Dawson was based, in it. Based on a like, graphic How? novel, right? Yeah, based on a comic book. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, it's about like American Civil War in the future. But I was like, How do all of these big celebrities like Rosario Dawson and fucking Julia Roberts, like, how do they have so many projects that have come out? And I know nothing about them. Like, 
Back in the day, when Julia Roberts' name was attached to a project, I knew about it. When Rosario Dawson, even 15 years ago, was cast in Rent, I fucking knew about it. Like, like, how do all of these celebrities have all of these projects coming out, and then like eight months, ten months, a year and a half later, I'm like, wait, what? Who was, who was in what? Like, it just, it isn't as much of a thing anymore. And, and in one sense, maybe that's good, because no. maybe we're not idolizing people in some ways, but in another sense, I don't think we've somehow right, stopped idolizing people like look at the shit that went down at the Oscars we clearly still think that Will Smith is a god and who gives a fuck like about this office I, party with all these dramas because they're drink. it's an office party it's literally an office party well, and okay. it has cameras on it that's the, the only the so, Os- like, who cares yeah. about these gods well, we've made them in I don't know I don't know I'm, I'm in a spicy mood Ryan I said this before I get I'm ready to Austin's I'm ready to get hey, yeah <laughs> uh, uh, a couple things like like yes Movies, there's a million more movies and stuff that people are making uh, uh, these days, but I think that's a good thing overall. It's just that people are choosing to consume them in different ways. I, I, everyone that I know that I would g- have used to call to go to a movie, they're kind of like, I don't know, do I need to go see that one in the movie? I can get that one on HBO Max. So everyone, people that call themselves movie fans don't even go to the movies as much. People are just not into it as much. The Oscars is way different because people th- that has its own other set of problems that basically people just are bored of award shows and they are boring and they are long. And if you're not really a geek about this stuff. So I don't think that that's like a one-to-one ratio in the sense that like, oh, because the Oscars are less watched, that means people are less into movies. People want to go to the movies and see awesome movies. It's that there's just, there's so few and far between because people at the end of the day are bad at getting in the habit of going to just something that they don't know everything about some IP. Oh, I got to, you know, I'm going to go to this sequel. If, if it's some, if there's something weird, they're probably going to catch it at home streaming. So, and the Oscars is more associated with theatrical presentation of movies. So listen, I'm, I, I, I laugh because I'm starting to become like, you know, how sometimes when you're, when your dad or your mom or your grandpa's like, you'll understand when you're older and you're like, yeah, whatever, yeah. bro, you don't know me. I'm starting to be like, damn, some things, most of the stuff I disagree with my dad on in life, you know, conservative evangelical dude, there are some things where I'm like, shit, I guess I get the generational divide thing. My best experience is going to the movies are when I saw Jurassic Park as a kid. Hell when yeah. I when my best experiences now are when I go and I see Alien you know, at like the local tiny independent theater house, you know, and they're doing a retrospective or something like that. Or when I used to go to the Dundee Contemporary Art Museum in Dundee, Scotland with my boys, shout out to Scott if you're listening to this, and we would go watch a fucking movie and then we would sit afterwards and we would drink some beers and we would talk about the movie and then it would turn into life and art and sex and politics and then maybe the movie would come back in. Like, that was a thing. It was a it was a moment. It was a it was a thing that actually shaped it. Rather than I'm gonna just consume something and then consume something else. And it's like just sticking my mouth to the faucet and just sucking in nutrients all day long. You don't get to come up for breath, man. Like stop <laughs> plugging shit into me and stuffing stuff into me. Let me fucking well let me back off a little to bit. Pl- to, stuff to talk me. you stuff me, Hollywood. To, to, to talk you <laughs> off the edge, Austin. Um, I think that's kind of the benefit of doing stuff like this, where 
yeah. we we get to bring back the old you know the the <laughs> the, the salons of old where we, yes. we can talk about these things intellectually or like you and ryan just said uh stuff all the hot dogs in our mouth at once but yeah uh, on on that note hey, we have and uh, i don't want to say that it, it's not just intellectual because many times those nights i would end up in some dingy nightclub sure. like shooting fucking jaeger bombs well, but you that's know? the so... thing though is that like i think <laughs> i think movies have the power to transform and i think they have the power to, to touch people's hearts and, and touch people's minds and i i just think that there is an extent to which yes there are a lot of movies that the kind of movies that used to get made that don't really get made so much anymore, at least not on a studio level. Um, But I also think that in the constant churn of content, like there, there are more movies made in a year now than were made in a decade Uh in, you know, the sixties or seventies. So it is one of those things. It's, it's tough for a movie to capture the cultural moment. And I also think that even people who are inclined to really engage with art and want to think about it critically, they're they're the ones who are most overwhelmed because they want to go out and engage with as much art as possible, and it's just coming from all mm. directions. Uh, but mm. uh, I want to uh, shout out someone in the chat. Uh, Sproggies or Spraggies had a question for us. On this note, what does it mean for y'all for a film or TV show to be a 10 out of 10 or a 1 out of 10? And could you provide an example of each? He asked Ryan a follow-up. What would you say about Salo, the 120 Days of Sodom? And Ryan's <laughs> response in the chat is 10 out of 10. Hell yeah, Ryan. 10 out of 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no question about it. Just well, give me Pasolini. And, Just and, pump and, Pasolini into my veins. Okay? Austin, I, I want to ask you an alternate question, too, real quick, about, you know, okay. uh, 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 about how you're overwhelmed with choices. Do you go to a fucking all-you-can-eat buffet and just look at everything that's there for you and then go... Fuck you, chef, you know, for giving me all these choices, you know, like, like it's not, you want the choices, right? You want all that stuff. It's like you, you got options. You just got to have use some self-control. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Am I wrong? The only, the only all you can eat that I enjoy is sushi and now I'm vegetarian. Okay. So this right. question, it just, it hurts my heart. Yeah, yeah. So for me, yeah. a ten out of ten is a must see. That's how I say. It. If, if I if I if I think you must see this movie, that is a ten out of ten. A one out of ten is something I am pissed off at. It's usually. a must not see. It's not only a mo- not see because a, a Nazi could, oh could be a, a Nazi. A Nazi could be a, like a four. Put your, out of put 10. your hand down. Put your hand okay, down. While all right. You're yeah, all right. That. Like a, a four out of ten or a three out of ten would be like, all right, you know, these aren't great movies, but whatever. But a one out, if I give it a one out of ten, that means that I am like actively angry at this movie and the filmmakers. I'm like, how dare you make me watch this? That's that's what, what about, will deserve a one out of ten for me. What about a bad film that people should see? What do you how do you rate that? A bad film that people will see people yeah, should yeah, see. Yeah, like it's like like the room. Like it's so bad or birdemic. I mean, I I give the room a uh, a seven on a good day, a seven out of ten, which means good for me because I do think that it is a f- it, it's it, really that's hard to say. It's a good time <laughs> yeah. at the movies. Uh, <laughs> that's you know? right. It is a good, especially if you got like your plastic cutlery that you're throwing at the screen and shit. Well, I guess, yeah, yeah. As long as you pick up your spoons, <laughs> you um, just pick up your spoons. But yeah, what do y'all? What, what's okay, y'all can answers? you think? 
can you think of a one out of ten film that like you think like essentially I think with one out of ten one out of ten do not see like are you saying like they should just like burn the celluloid and just destroy all the copies so nobody usually. can ever see it again? Luckily, <laughs> luckily for y'all, I have every movie I've ever rated uh, or seen rated on IMDb, so I can show you all my one out of tens and tell you right now. <laughs> uh, God, Copper- I wish I had this discipline. Friends with Benefits, with starring Mila Kunis and Justin Timberlake. <laughs> that movie pissed me off. Uh, isn't that didn't isn't didn't the didn't the creator of New Girl create that one? Will Elizabeth Gluck. Merriweather. Will Gluck did. Uh, this is forty. Okay. Judd Apatow's This is forty. <laughs> oh wow! That movie pissed me off. I'm sen- I'm starting. I'm I'm sensing a theme here. <laughs> B- Blues Brothers, two thousand. <laughs> Fuck that movie. Uh, the uh, Sacha Baron Cohen's The Dictator, one out of ten. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Steven Soderbergh's <laughs> remake of Solaris can go fuck itself, one out of ten. <laughs> uh, this is a, a New York Stories, the the Woody Allen, Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, one. yeah. That one's a little weird because I did like one of them, like the Woody Allen. The anthologies. kind of makes me laugh, but... Francis Ford yeah. Coppola's just uh, can go fuck itself. Why did Why did we spend all this time for the past couple years, like trying to think about movies critically? When this this podcast where Ryan just yells about <laughs> shit is one hundred percent more entertaining. Salo, one hundred twenty days of Sodom, must see. Um, Austin, you mentioned that. Uh, the the best theatrical experience of your life was uh, Jurassic Park. Ryan, what what's that for you, man? What what immediately well, no, comes no, to I, your head? I I don't know if it is Jurassic Park. Or, it's just times times like, like that. that. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, are you asking me what I rated Jurassic Park? I'm gonna guess. No, uh, no. What's not not necessarily not necessarily what you think of Jurassic Park, but what is what is the best and not even the best movie you've seen in theaters, but the best theatrical experience? What do you think? Oh, dude, I've had so many of those. But I'm going to uh, 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 Last Action Hero, and hmm. uh, there was a there was a row of summers where every summer we, me and my family would go uh, to, for Fourth of July. I would go to the big movie that year, and it was like Last Action Hero, Men in Black, and Jurassic Park: Lost World, or something. Or no, no, Jurassic Park One, maybe even. I don't know. Either way, mm-hmm. those all those years, it was just. Yeah, just crack stick my, out your head for my se- seven-year-old brain or ten-year-old brain or whatever the hell, however old I was. <laughs> Dude, um, I had a I had a great time. I went to go see Uncharted the other day in uh in the theater with my girl. We both were fans of the video game series, and I think that Uncharted Four is one of like my favorite games I've ever played. And so I had zero expectations that it was going to be a good movie, but I had so much fun. Like, yeah, sure, I could sit there with my critical brain and be a grump about it, but honestly, just being in these comfy chairs in the theater with my girl late at night during the week watching this silly action film, I had a great time. Like, going to the theater is so, like, the the chances that I'm going to enjoy it, even if I don't love the film, is better because the experience is is what really gets me. I've I've always heard that those games are, like even structured like movies that they're very cinematic down to especially the, the final gameplay. especially the last yeah. one it's made by the same creators that did um like the last of us and the last of us 2 so it's extremely theatrical 
So is, I mean, does it seem like it benefits from that? Was it a fairly standard or a fairly faithful adaptation? Like it's, it's, that seems like sort of a, a winning formula if, if the movie or if the game is already kind of uh, built like a, welcome to our episode about un, our, our final episode about Uncharted starring Tom Holland. Uh, the game's still, this Uncharted 4 is still a uh, hundred times better. It, it, it's just so hard to translate because the games are so much more they're, they're so much wider in their scope and what they can do the biggest problem with with like action films today for me is that they're actually really small because everything's fucking green screened what you have are a bunch of like mid shots on the celebrity or whoever it is that's the sexy person that they're trying to push on uh, on social media and then you just have like some digital shots but you don't have like landscape shots like fucking hell or high water had more big landscape shots where you're just like oh my god look at the country that they're in and like you're just like there weren't at the in the third act there's a little bit of like some big grandiose shots of like these islands but in the game like you're standing up on this fucking hilltop and you're looking out over these oceans and these seas and because the graphics are so amazing you're like just sucked in by the sublime of the immensity but these action films these days they're so small even though there's like lots of loud noises so then they try to make up for it by just making everything go boom like the new batman movie which b- destroys your ears you know so ryan ryan are you a gamer uh it's debatable not a little really. bit um I'm, I'm curious what you guys think you know maybe this is a to tie it back to the last picture show do you do you feel like some of the uh some of the energy around video games has sort of taken the air out of the room for cinema that a, no, a lot of yeah. like cinematic storytelling is happening more on the uh, on the small screen whether like you hear that a lot with TV but um you know being being in the game and and playing it for yourself do you think that people just naturally connect with that a bit more than uh, than going out and seeing a movie that might challenge them a little bit I, Not that video games can't be challenging. My opinion, no. Like, uh, I think I think there's way more people that are into having a very passive experience of sitting on their ass and having a story be told to them rather than um, <laughs> than play a game. I mean, obviously they're huge, but I think there's room in the world for video games and and cinema and TV and all the you know all of it. It's just oh, certainly. It, it's just that people have conflated movies as something they can basically watch on their TV and they forgot about the whole cool in the dark watching it on a big screen yeah. with a bunch of people part of it that that objectively I think makes a, certain movies way better there's some movies you don't need to have that experience you know but we're that we're certainly in the you know how Spielberg predicted several years ago like the 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 time where it's just going to be the big Marvel roller coaster movies Avatar 2s and whatnot whenever the fuck it comes out uh, that's all that's going to be in the cinema soon. You you mentioned that, and I I think there is that that's an interview that kind of rings in my head quite often. Um, that notion of uh, these these movies taking up all the oxygen and pushing smaller, you know, arguably more interesting fare to the margins. But um, I don't think it's them taking the oxygen because I think that you could have a world where where there's Marvel movies and the indie movies together. It's just that human beings have trained themselves to not want to go out to the theater to see the indie movies. Well, too, oh, first in, adi- in addition. I I don't know. I think I think you I think the tail might be wagging the dog there because I, I, mm-hmm. I like people people see like uh on average I I read that People see six movies a year. That's the the average film goer makes it to the theater six times a year. And 
when there are six-plus huge event movies, I don't blame people for making those their six trips. But I do think that some of the onus is on, I think this goes without saying, a lot of the onus is on studios for only focusing on those types of movies to the exclusion of, you know, whatever, your last picture shows. Um, and, and it is really, really tough to say to someone who maybe lives in a small town like this, oh, well, it's on you that we only get Spider-Man 18 because you didn't go out to support the worst person in the world. Worst person in the world ain't playing on that screen because nobody's going to it. Yeah. You know, it's, well, and also, right. there's an economic element to this as well. Wages have stagnated since the 1970s, and the cost of going to the movie theater is fucking insane. When my girl and I went to go see Uncharted, we also noticed that there was a family of like six that was with us, and we were like, how much fucking money does it cost? $30 a ticket, maybe more, depending on what part of the world you're in. You're right? in so Australia, in Australia, Sydney. Right. Sydney's yeah. expensive. Yeah, so right. Sydney Sydney's an expensive city anyway. So let's say it's $30 a ticket plus a popcorn and a drink like like you're talking that's like a $500 day outing to go to the movies with your family. That's insane. Wait, hold on. How'd you get you know? 500? <laughs> yeah, how well, are you on this like, How many popcorns like are we getting? 30 times are you, six, are you, you know, they're like 200 limo? bucks and they the 200 hell? bucks and then they all want to they all want a freaking popcorn and a drink. That's like thirty bucks each. You're like four hundred bucks. And then parking is another yeah. twenty bucks. Like I and don't one, know. One of our listeners, Strictly Sega, just jumped into the chat and said he, he uh, they, excuse me, make the effort to see big blockbusters at cinema instead of indies due to the expensive special effects. And I, I think that makes sense. I mean, like I may not be crazy about big Hollywood superhero flicks, but at least those you do feel like you're going to get some bang for your buck. Now it may be the bells and whistles that I don't really care all that much about. But like you're saying, Austin, if you're going to put all the kids in the car and take them, you know, on a night out to see a movie, yeah, you're going to go to something that's going to be a bit more entertaining, a bit more of a crowd pleaser. Um, but to, to circle back where I landed before, I wasn't saying, <laughs> I wasn't negating my argument by saying that no one is going to go see an indie movie, so therefore it won't play in a small town. It's just that, like, those those markets, by and large... The like demographically are not going to have the kind of support for certain smaller movies that are more niche interest that generally only play in bigger cities anyway. But I think that there's a false dichotomy at play here that we're we're talking about this as though it's only Spider Man and worst person in the world or really really low, you know, one to five million dollar indies. But back in the day, studios used to make an effort to make 20, 30, 40 million dollar movies. Like 1989 is the the year that I always bring up because fucking Batman, I think, was number one at the box office. Number two was Rain Man. Like that's insane to think about now. Just imagining a movie like Rain Man of that film's pedigree doing that well at the box office or even getting that kind of release to be able to to pick up that sort of steam and in studios just aren't interested in making those kinds of movies but i do think there are a lot of people in in smaller markets who would be interested in seeing stuff that's a little bit you know a little bit uh smaller in scale but still is kind of family friendly or can be a crowd pleaser or you know speaks to them in a different way than a superhero flick might. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think we're basically saying the same thing. I mean, this is basically a supply and demand issue is my, is my whole point. 
And 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 even in the big markets, like even in LA, like the ones that supposedly these indie uh, movies are are being made for, I'm saying they're people aren't going to them, and that that therefore they're they get made less. And it's like, all right, well, fuck it, let's just make all Marvel movies. Um, um, let's yeah. do a, let's do a little of this real quick, Raymond. I mean, let me ask you, what's a one out of ten film, and what's a ten out of ten film for you? Um, to me, a ten out of ten film in the abstract is a movie that accomplishes what it's uh, what it's trying to do that like so Ernest land goes to jail uh what's perfect, that per- <laughs> Ernest goes to jail yeah Bingo. perfect version um, of what it's trying to do but uh what what I mean by that Ryan you know you kind of hit the nail on the head not that I'm a, a big Ernest fan or whatever but I do think that people have a tendency to sort of like separate movies by what is what's a serious movie what's not blah 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 um, but I, I do think that there are really small or inauspicious films that accomplish what they set out to accomplish in a way that, you know, a movie with infinite resources can't really get across. It leaves you feeling empty or unsatisfied because it just it, it feels repetitive or monotonous. Um, so for me, I mean, uh, an example of a perfect movie in my mind is uh, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is Jaws. Um, I think that's one of the best movies ever. I mentioned uh, on a recent episode, I think Children of Men legitimately might be near the top of the heap of all movies ever made. I, I think that that's hmm. a movie that accomplishes exactly what it sets out to accomplish. It's brilliantly acted, brilliantly made. As far as one out of ten movies go, I kind of hew closer to Ryan's definition of <laughs> like a movie that just can't justify its existence (laughs) and that doesn't have anything commendable. And I hate to be mean-spirited about movies because I think they're all gifts, but there, there are, I, I always say that I, I don't hate any movies, but I do have like two or three exceptions. Um, and I think I've already mentioned one on air, so I'll just go back to that one, which is Boondock Saints, I think is the worst movie ever made. Oh, give me Uh, a break. That that movie is watchable though. Like, and doesn't like, that movie set out something and then accomplish that something? Yeah, that's what I. How do you how do you define this? Like, okay, you, know, I also you can know that say you it's hate like me Earl, and, me Earl and, and the Dying Girl like is it, another. But... Yeah, you don't like me Earl and the Dying Girl, but that movie I don't care. I don't care for me Earl and the Dying Girl. I think I think me Earl and the Dying Girl is is pernicious in a way. Like I think Boondock Saints is is kind of pernicious too. I find it to be just like a deeply ugly and mean spirited movie made by an extraordinarily mean spirited person. And I just I don't I don't enjoy a moment of it. I think it's just it's like if uh, all the worst corners of Reddit wrote a script and then uh, shot it very haphazardly. Damn. Um, I, I, it's it's just a, a nauseating film. I can't stand it. How, however, I'm glad that it exists because Overnight is one of my favorite documentaries, yeah. <laughs> which is an extremely satisfying movie to see an extremely uh, mean-spirited person kind of get his comeuppance. By Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of a uh, it's it's a real real bad uh, situation when you're watching a movie and and sort of rooting for Harvey Weinstein. Okay, let's let's do let's do some of our favorite hits then from from what we've talked about on this podcast. Yeah, we'll I mean, look that up. Uh, we've done quite a few. Um, 
you know, we can keep talking about the last picture show and its themes, but I think it kind of just more just gives us an insight into talking about film and why we care about film and this podcast and what we get to do here and shifts uh, of did culture. You give your, and, yeah. did, did, I'm sorry. Did you give your 10 out of 10 and one out of 10? Have we heard that? Well, I, I mean, for me, a 10 out of 10 is something that at, at a baseline, it has to accomplish what it set out to do. But then for me, I always think of, I think of scenes and I think of cinema a lot of times musically, that there's a melody and the melody is kind of the spine, let's say, of it, right? And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of different combinations, maybe millions of different combinations of melodies that can be strung together, right? And um, if you listen to Thai music, for example, it sounds very, uh, you know, off key to Western ears that are that are used to certain types of scales with their melodies. Um, so you have to learn to appreciate these different melodies, which is one of the things I love about watching an avant-garde film, which has a very different melodic structure than watching, you know, a rom-com from Hollywood or um, a British uh, dark. Uh, tragicomedy, right? They all have these different melodies, and the more we expose ourselves to the different varieties of melodic possibilities, the more then you can see what those kind of baseline or those baseline sort of standards are. And so, for me, that's what I, one of the reasons I love exploring the variety of cinema is I want to learn all the different melodic structures, so that I can watch a Bollywood film and be like, well, it might not be what I'm accustomed to, but I can learn to appreciate it in its context by attuning myself to the melody. So that's like one simple, that's the baseline for me. It has to accomplish a nice melody, we might say. But then I'm looking for harmonies. I'm looking for poetry. I'm looking for the things I'm looking for. It could be a fucking guitar solo. I'm using music metaphors here, you know, or the jazz riff where there's there's a melodic structure, but all of a sudden the pianist just goes off on one and you're like, oh my God, they just did something crazy. Now, sometimes they go off and they do something crazy. And even though the baseline structure is there, the melody is fine, but eh, I don't know, the performances were over the top or they, they, um, they addressed some themes in a way that didn't resonate with me or that maybe I find to be weak or maybe even problematic in some ways, right? Or politically insidious or something, or, or that there's a blind spot that I wish that they would have explored, you know, in a, in a different way. So for me then, a 10 out of 10 um, is a film that is melodically strong, but then is also like harmoniously robust. That that wow. That is for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And for me, like, so that means the performances are solid, that there's some sort of, like, je ne sais quoi, there's some oomph in the story, in the setting, in the cinematography, like, something, like, maybe they're doing something unique and different. Like, Titan, for me, is what I would call a, a must-watch film. Is it 10 out of 10? I mean, um, 9 out of 10, 8 out of 9, something, I don't know. Yeah, can you the reason I love it is because... Oh, sorry. Well, so the thing that popped into my mind immediately when you read the question was a TV series, which is Station Eleven. The new TV series, Station Eleven, for me, it's a mini-series. For me, that's 10 out of 10. And the reason is because it's a post-apocalyptic story, but it is this triumphalist post-apocalyptic world that talks about art and narrative and mythology and story as being this savior, the thing that gives us purpose and meaning and community, but also that explores tragedy and that can provide catharsis, but that also might not always give us easy answers, but that 
introduces us to the mud and the muck of the human experience as we are on this floating marble in the middle of an infinite fucking universe, potentially multiverses. Like, to me, it's uh, existence is also absurd, objectively. So for me, story is the thing that kind of grounds us in that absurdity. But it doesn't excuse away or or kind of um, distract us, but it confronts us with absurdity. And so Station Eleven for me is a series that did that. And the performances were all amazing. The costumes were amazing. They use Shakespeare in a way that's amazing. It's also very current because it's dealing with a fucking, like, flu pandemic that kills 99% of the people that it infects. So there's also, like, some fear shit about being stuck in a pandemic, right? So there was just, but it did it in a way that was fresh and different for me. I thought there were some really lovely family dynamics explored. Those are the harmonies. And so for me, that that's that's like a 10 out of what's, 10. What's a movie that does that for you? Well, Jurassic Park is a 10 <laughs> out of 10 for me. All yeah. Right. All right. No. Jurassic um. Park, Terminator 2 is a 10 out of 10 for me. Now, Terminator 1, I haven't seen as much. And I haven't seen it in a, a long time. Film. But Terminator 2 was one of the first films that I saw that pissed my dad off because I was like eight or nine years old and my aunt let me watch it at her house and I was like, oh my God, this you can do this with a movie? I was like, what? And, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was larger than life. And even though I don't think it's the best sci-fi film ever made, there's something, there's an oomph about it. So like those would be 10 out of 10s for me. Stalker is a 10 out of 10. Wings of Desire is a 10 out of 10. Drink, oh, drink, drink, motherfuckers. Chris Rincon, take a listening. drink, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're also waiting to cross off the Man of Violence, Pyeongchul Han, and uh, Terrence Malick references. So whenever that comes up organically, feel free to drink. <laughs> Uh, Badlands is a 10 out of 10. There uh, we go. Tr- yeah, that's a 10 out of 10. Um, so, yeah. uh, speaking speaking of uh, favorites, uh, least favorites, Anything what John have Cassavetes you. has ever made is a 10 out of 10. There we go. Bri- uh, Briar Bookhalter asked us uh, if there are any standout moments, not just standout episodes, but uh, standout moments from uh, the history of SMTM. I mean, you guys, you guys have been here a lot longer than I have. What do you think? Boss Baby. Tons. Oh yeah, well that was what that was our first batch. That was like the first three or four. For some reason, that one will always stick in my head because people constantly bring it up in like on Twitter and stuff like that. They're like, this podcast that does these deep dives talked about this silly Alec Baldwin animated Boss film. Baby. Boss <laughs> baby, I'm looking. Oh, Tetsuo the Iron Man. I think that yeah, was, that was great. That was. I was that thinking was that one. You know, I like the ones where it's like it's it, it was you know uh, uh, us, and then you know when Jared was on, like t- talking about movies that that we loved that not many people had seen. Like whenever we got mm. a chance to do those episodes, it was great. Punisher two, Punisher uh, War Zone, that was a funny one. Audition, uh, Antichrist, you know, all these weird uh, ones. I love. How, uh, how many episodes do y'all think we've done? Do you know the um, answer? I don't know the answer. Probably I'm say 175. I was going to guess 200. 200. Okay. Well, I already knew the answer. I already looked up the answer, but I was going to guess in the 150 range, and it's 187. Oof. Everyone Austin wins. Close. Close, closest without going over. Oof. <laughs> yeah. So nice. Yeah. That's a that's a lot of films. And now I wasn't here for all of them. Like not all of us were here for all of them, but. I, you know, I, I don't always have like a standout of like the individual film that I remember the most, but 
for me, the thing that I always found that was interesting was even when it was a film that I didn't like, like that maybe I don't think is a good film, I always had good discussions. And sometimes it's weird. I would walk away from the discussion and be like, well, wait, do I like the film now? Because (laughs) I was able to have such a great conversation about it. You know, and I think I think that's something that happened frequently for me when. Yeah. So I, I think uh, we've 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 kind of gone. We we jumped on here and said, yeah, we're just going to go all over the place and just have a fun uh, uh, last conversation. And as much as I've enjoyed this, what do you guys think about um, you've mentioned performances in other movies? What do you guys think about uh, performances in this movie? I want to shout out Strictly Sega in the chat again, who, who said y- y'all have to talk about Cloris Leachman because she made that film. Phenomenal yes. performance from yeah, Cloris I Leachman. I think great performances all around. But any uh, any other standouts for you guys? I, I, Cloris Leachman for me is is, is the one. Like, Sybil Shepherd. I didn't realize that she was so like babelicious when Memphis she was younger. Girl. Yeah, um, my hometown. I remember Sybil from. Is she from in, the TV is she show. in your song about? <laughs> she is. She's like in the. F- yeah. She's in the first verse. <laughs> That's a great video, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Cloris Leachman is is absolutely amazing in this, and it's funny. I was watching it, and you know how when you're introduced to an actor when they're older, like in they're in their seventies or something like that, like you just think of them as always being old. Like for me, Robert sure. Redford has just always been old, you uh-huh. know. So now when I see him, like Morgan really old, Freeman I'm like, well, he's has just always been he, old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like what? So for me, that's like Cloris Leachman. I looked back at her and I was like, oh, like she wasn't always old, but it was just so weird to to see her. I think she's fantastic in this. For me, that's that's the standout performance. I mentioned Clue Gulliger uh, at the top of the episode, who is um, one of those guys that's kind of always been old, and then you see him in this, you're like, God damn, <laughs> how's, it, <laughs> how's it going, Clue? Um, you know, it it, it is just it's it's a great ensemble, like um, all around. Seeing uh, seeing Randy Quaid pop up in there, yeah. uh, that that was one that I didn't. Uh, uh, I didn't remember him being in this at all. Um, and yeah, it almost kind of takes you by surprise. You recognize his voice before you recognize his face, or at least I did. Um, mm. But a, a great sense of um, a great sense of character in, in the environment as well. That probably goes without saying, you know, so much has been written about this movie already, but just wonderful location work and, and, and just a real, a, a real sense of just like, Ugh. <laughs> just end end of the road. Like there, there's that great shot where they just, uh, I think it's Jeff Bridges steps out and just kind of looks towards the middle of the intersection, and they just cut to the one light just kind of blinking, <laughs> and you're like, "Yep, that's that's the one in the town." So you know how I have this theory that every film is a western. You do have, this and then theory. also, and also that every film is a horror. Maybe every film is also an apocalyptic film because this film feels very, very apocalyptic to me. Um, and it is. It's it's a sort of tale about the end of things, the end of the world. And then what do you do? Is there life beyond it? Now, sometimes there's some hope that comes, right? And maybe this is just part and parcel of the monomyth narrative that kind of drives so much of cinematic storytelling too, which is like the the figure has to go out and... and tackle the monsters and then they come back into society but the world's been transformed so they can never go back to the way they once were so they have this revelation and so then the world is new and so you're left at the end with some sort of like radical transformation of the entire sort of like landscape right the world right 
So maybe that's just part of it, is that there's like death and rebirth that's always being explored. In this film, there's no fucking rebirth. I think you are left at the end with a kind of like, fuck, this is just the cycle of tragedy that is going to perpetually happen. You you bringing that up is is fit. It, it kind of reminds me of um one another example of that of like a movie that feels apocalyptic without being explicitly apocalyptic is uh, David Cronenberg's Crash, which is one oh. of my favorite movies, and it's just <laughs> you sick freak. similar. <laughs> okay, easy. <buddy. laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, let's let's end the show on a good on good just terms. Kidding. I know, man. Um, no, there's there's this great sense, and I only bring it up to to kind of tie it back into Last Picture Show. That what what I was saying earlier about how there's this sense of like making mistakes just to kill the time. When you watch uh, mm. Crash, there is that sense of like it, it's not it's not that the movie is saying that they live in a dystopian or apocalyptic world, but you just can't imagine these people existing in any other world that that is not completely destroyed, like beyond the boundaries of the frame, mm. just like doing something that is this dangerous for the sake of danger and, and like so immensely self-destructive. Like it, it is just one of those things where you, you, you get it. There's just this pervasive, this atmosphere, this, this mood and this tone where you're just like, yeah, why not just fucking drive head on into each other and just see, see if we can get our rocks off that way. Like, what do we have to lose? The world is ending. Like they never have to say that. It just kind of, it's just weirdly pervasive. Hmm. Real quick, I just for the fans out there that are playing a drinking game, just to reiterate, the monomyth requires the man of violence. To, yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> I knew you were going to come back to sorry. that. No, but on, <laughs> on um, you know, we've we've mentioned a couple of other movies in this sort of wide ranging movie talk. What do you guys think if if the show weren't ending? What are uh, what are some movies that you wish we could have covered? Oh, that's a great question. I've sent so many lists to them over the years. Austin, do you have any offhand? I I would have liked to have covered maybe some some classics um, a little bit more, you know, um, some some like big hitters that um, that have like interesting philosophical th- like a Sunset Boulevard, for example, or think things like that. I think would have been interesting um, to to cover. Yeah, stuff like that. I would have liked uh, uh, to do like the weird ones, like you know they. I see a fantastic fest like Septic Man or <laughs> Kung Fu Hustle, you know that kind of stuff. Oh, uh, the so Raid Two, even some of the Ernest movies. Why, uh, why the Raid Two? Did you cover the first one? I think no, we did the cause... Raid Two. Oh, did you see? Oh, I must not have been there for do you, it. Do yeah. you find the second one compelling in a way that uh, the first one isn't, or engaging in a way? I find it very g- engaging, but it's I, I don't like it as much, nearly as much. It's way I mean too much. Yeah, I like them shit. both, but it's uh, it's weird that you jump to the second one, Austin. It's just a little bit ramped up, a little bit more batshit crazy. It's jingle a little bit all more. The way. It's a little bit more comic booky. Definitely. Jingle, jingle all the way would have been mine when, when, <laughs> on my list. Uh, but, Josh? but also, the, when, when we did uh, like that that John Carpenter month run, like doing more shit like that would have been great. Like doing a, a Cronenberg Kubrick. run, a Kubrick, sure. you know, like just really yeah. kind of get, looking at somebody's complete uh, filmography. Would, would Speaking be of, Josh Weiss ninety nine sounded off in the chat saying uh, they wish we could have done No Country for Old Men. We never uh, did feel that. Like we did. I don't feel like we, at least not this group, we never did any Coen Brothers. I know y'all did like Fargo before. Uh, but did I don't a serious think we did man. Coen Brothers. We never, we never got to do any, I don't think we ever got to do any Cronenberg, at least not since I've been on it, which 
which well uh, we did video drone but that was like in 2017 yeah, that's, that's what i'm saying i think i think you may yeah. have done video drone i would yeah, have loved to have maybe done the fly or done uh even maybe history of violence something uh, uh, less body horror oriented but still with a lot of themes of duality and, and what have you no billy madison is. says dave Smythe. <laughs> Uh, Gabriel Gomez says jackass. We definitely should have had Michael oh, on for a jackass special. Great. Oh, fuck. Perfect, I know. We, Perfect that, Blue like, says Jonathan Ramirez. Hell yeah. Hyperspace Jester says Crocodile Dundee. Nick Easterling says uh, uh, Dolomite is my name with Eddie Murphy. Where, where were all these recommendations? We missed out. <laughs> we could have used these forever ago. We can only do Yeah, so what about you, Raymond? If there's like... If there is a, a – this is the, the pinnacle of the show me the meaning film that we did not discuss, missed opportunity, what is it? Um, I'm trying to think of one that – I know there's a lot that we haven't discussed, but, I mean, I came onto the show so late. I'm, I'm trying to think of one that y'all didn't cover uh, during the Jared days. Um, um, I, I, what I do you one, think, Ryan? Uh, uh, I don't think we ever did Primer. Um, Primer, and, yeah. and not that I really yeah. love that movie, but to me, uh, that is the movie where it's like, okay, you know, see, uh, it's the one movie that everybody that ever watches it needs completely explained to them in a broken down, <laughs> beat by beat uh, way. So that would be to me the ultimate show me the meaning. Do we film. like? What do we think about Upstream Color? I love it. Uh, okay. Me too. Okay. Yeah, me too. I, I, I like Primer, like because it's intriguing and a, and a, it gets my brain like all all in a tizzy. But Upstream Color for me, I think, is actually fantastic. That was a great year for movies. That came out in 2013. That was not just a great year for movies, but weirdly, there were a lot of great sci-fi movies that came out that year, like Upstream Color, Computer Chess. I think Her and Under the Skin both came out that year. The World's wow. End came out. There, like, there was kind of something in the water. Um, there, there were a lot of great movies in general, but ha, huh, funny because uh, Upstream Color is about stuff in the water. Oh, sure, serve <laughs> <laughs> um, Nazis must die. That would have been on the uh, list. Yeah. And I don't think I don't think y'all ever did any trauma. I know We're, we um, fucked up. We, uh, we talked about doing Toxic Avenger once, but we never did it. Hmm. I I would throw out um, maybe this isn't the pinnacle of of uh, a show me the meaning movie, you know, whatever that might mean. But I would have liked to have covered uh, the Witch, one of my favorite movies from the past. The Vovovich. Yeah, the Vovovich. Um, I love that movie. I I just I, I like that it's having a conversation with Austin, like you were saying with, uh, with storytelling as a tradition um, and, you know, making, making a movie about folklore and, and uh, in a way that is like kind of creating its own sort of mythology. Um, I, I really, really dig that film. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think we, we never got to talk about speaking of great theatrical experiences. I think, my my number one theatrical experience of all time is I went to see Raw at Fantastic Fest Whoa. out here in Los Angeles, and I Los- I had just what's that Fantastic Fest in Los Angeles? Uh, uh, or one. excuse me, excuse me, uh, Beyond Fest, not Fantastic Beyond Fest. Fest. Hell yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks thanks for catching me. Um, so I had just finished a project, and I I was like ready to go. I just wanted to go see a movie, and I just got online. And I saw Fantastic Fest was screening Raw that night. And all I knew about it was those three letters, just R-A-W. And I was like, hmm. all right, well, I, I, I'd love to go to Fantastic Fest screening. Those are always a good time. They do a good job programming that festival. So, yeah, I'll buy a ticket. 
All right, I go see this this movie that I think was maybe the American premiere of the film. I can't remember, but we all sit down and you know people are milling around. They've got their their T-shirts and their records, whatever they're buying from the souvenir stands. And then uh, the programmers come out and they say, "Hey, you know, there's been some people who have fainted in in uh, some screenings <laughs> of this. So like, let's not make any headlines tonight." You know, we're going to have a good time, but uh, if you're feeling faint, just stay in your seat. You know, that falls a lot better than the one from uh, Standing Up. And then they go, and our friends from Donut Friend have brought some uh, some donuts for all for all of us to enjoy before the movie. (laughs) They start passing around a box of donuts, and the donuts. uh, Spoiler alert: Maybe if you haven't seen Raw, all of the donuts are like fingers with raspberry jam blood and they have like glazed fingernails and we're passing these around and I'm grabbing one out of the box and thinking to myself what the fuck am I about to watch (laughs) and as the movie's the movie's going I'm loving it and then when it gets to the scene that the donuts were referencing the entire audience when I won't spoil it but there's a thing that happens where the movie changes pretty drastically and the entire audience, we're all sort of like holding our breath and then we just start applauding and screaming and yelling (laughs) and cheering and just going insane. And it was just this weird kind of like, you know, collective uh, hallucination almost where it's like, Mm. why are we cheering for this? This is objectively not a great thing to depict happening. But it was just, it was just one of those beautiful, ineffable moments. I'll I'll never forget. Definitely the best theatrical experience of my life. I just spent, I just spent the weekend with, obviously Michael um, and and I have done talking to Tan for a while now, but we we haven't ever gotten to really uh, do a deep dive on raw, but go ahead. Well, I just spent the weekend with an acting coach named Anthony Mindel, who he heads the studio where I train here in Sydney, Anthony Mindel's Actors Workshop. Um, and Tony's here in Sydney, and he's doing some some special things. And one of the things he kept talking about that, like, fucking our job is to affect people, right? He's got a very sort of, like, um, renegade style of acting, which is why he's kind of like the hot thing in L.A. for acting coaches, right? Um, 25th anniversary, by the way. So if people are interested, go train with him. He's great. If you're in Sydney, come train with us here. Um, it's fantastic. But it was just impressing upon me. It was so lovely to be around somebody who just has this infectious energy that was talking about like that those experiences that you had, Raymond, that's why we are artists. That's why people talk about cinema. It's for those reasons, right? And part of the reason why I bemoan the onslaught of just being plugged into the kind of funnel of media being shoved down our orifices is that we don't get to have those moments of ecstatic release because there's never a moment to actually feel impacted. And the philosopher Walter Benjamin talks about how we've been anesthetized, right? So the the more that we ramp up our amplitude uh, in terms of consumption, the more then it requires that we get ramped up to have some sort of effect land on us which then the more that we become you said it's kind of like what Sybil Shepherd's mom says in the last picture show you do something long enough anything becomes monotonous and 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 uh, to throw out another name the philosopher political theorist Mark Fisher who famously kind of coined the notion of capitalist realism I can never remember which way he says it but I always say it both ways because I think it's great he says either everything is boring but no one is bored or nothing is boring but everyone is bored 
right? And I think that kind of works. It's this sense where everything is boring because there's just there's nothing that excites us. But no one is actually bored because we're constantly getting stimulation. Another way of thinking that is that nothing is boring because it's all exciting, but we're all bored because we're just pacified because we're just anesthetized by this 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 constant onslaught of imagery, right? And so we need more and more stuff to shake us. And that's one of the consequences of living in like a hedonist culture is because the stimuli and response system can only go to so many levels, right? before it just kind of reaches a, like a meta-stable level, right? And so you need more things to fucking shock the system, and then it just keeps going up. And I don't know if we can continue to go, but I'm not sure that it's ultimately yielding the best results for us as consumers of media or as receivers of art. And and for me, I want to not lose our, our capacities to have those ecstatic moments. And, and as an artist who is a creator as well, I want to be able to still affect people and challenge people on how we think about humanity and relationships and politics and ethics and love and sex and violence. Like, that's why we're storytellers. And I just don't want to lose that impact in the sea of monotonous sameness. And that, by the way, is an allusion to Byung-Chul Han. Drink. <laughs> Drink. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. uh, what do you think, fellas? I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, I think uh, we've covered it. It's about that time. Oh, yeah. Let's so sayonara, Sammy. What's, do you have a good walk away? Like, what's the? It's not. Nick from New Girl has this list of walkaways that he's trying to compile. At one time, he says it's not a. It's not a goodbye. It's a bad bye. Bad <laughs> bye. <laughs> yeah. Any uh, any final words of wisdom for the uh, the SMTM fans? Well, D- Davis here in the chat said this podcast changed not only the way I approached my academic career, but also the way I look at the world. I appreciate it. Time to Aww. listen to some owls at dawn. Hell yeah, uh, Davis. Shouts. Um, yeah, on, on that note, ooh, someone else just popped in. Miguel Delgado started watching this podcast when uh, when I was in high school, and now I'm a college junior. Truly a great learning experience every time these dudes talked movies. Joel you, Toledo, Miguel. gentlemen, it has been an honor and a pleasure. Uh, what I was about to say, uh, thank thank you, everyone. And, and this is... This is me talking to everyone right now, not just the, the 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 listeners, but you, Austin and Ryan. Like this is this has been a really a really fun time. Like I've uh, yeah, I I kind of just I, I was sort of like doing some work for Wisecrack here and there, and uh, they they told me like, oh, we have this movie podcast, and uh, you never <laughs> shut up about movies. <laughs> is is there any chance you could fill in on this Total Recall episode? And then uh, all of a sudden. I just uh, started showing up. So apologies to anyone who was uh, surprised or put off by that. Um, but it's it's really been a blast. And for everyone saying that this podcast has meant a lot to them, despite the fact that it's it, it's coming to an end, you should recognize that this show would have ended a whole lot sooner if it weren't for your support. So as as much as Absolutely. as much as you you dig the podcast and we appreciate your support, like we got to emphasize we appreciate your support. We there's no chance we would have been able to do this for as long as we have if it weren't for all of you. So, you know, thank you from from the bottom of my heart. I can only speak for myself. I'm sure Ryan and Austin uh, have nothing nice to say about the listeners. Oh, uh, hell no. I, <laughs> this I, is, I mean, uh, hell this yes, has been a blast. What do you guys I, think? I, I, I uh, the, uh, I wanted to also echo that um, 
the emails we get. That's one of my favorite parts of yeah. doing the show is 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 after we, we say some stuff and you know sometimes I'm not the most prepared and I'm like uh, and I'm like oh and then and I like hearing your feedback no matter even if it's good or bad in yeah. the in the thing the fact everyone that took time to write those emails that was really awesome and anyone that uh, commented and uh, and Raymond I. Loved when you came on. You were a great addition to the podcast. We've been going for years at that point, and you know I think that uh, we all kind of bring something to the table here. And and you, Austin, are you know I, how long we've we been doing it together? Six years at this point. God, almost. And I've yeah. met you yeah, once yeah. in 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 One the time. flesh. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, this is truly a a modern <laughs> <laughs> working relationship. That uh, yeah. it's been great, you know. We're uh, we're buds through movies. We've only that's been right. talking on this podcast, and it's awesome, you know. That's that's. I'm glad that we all got to this opportunity to do it. You guys are my friends, man. Honest, <laughs> honestly, like I, it's not very often that you get to like wrap things up in life. And yeah. even though it wasn't on on our time, you know, like it, it kind of came out because of of corporate decisions and, and needs. We were still able to kind of figure out what did we want to do for our final few episodes, and it was kind of great that we got to have a final episode that's, that that really got to wrap things up, which is kind of nice, and then to let people know. And then I think what that also did is it allowed people to express some of their sadness or joys and memories and things like that. And I got really overwhelmed. I've gotten a lot of DMs over the years just from people that have said some pretty heartfelt things about conversations that have been inspiring or illuminating or the way that we addressed a certain topic, how it was important to them by, you know, giving voice to to um, certain topics or to individuals that um, that maybe weren't getting it. So I'm actually really proud of the output that we've that we've that we've um, that we've been able to, to put out. And I'm more thankful that like people that it's landed with people, because to me, if if performance is about affecting people, this is just another aspect of performance. It just happens to be something that's more true to who I am in my day to day, rather than a character or some sort of narrative on top of it. You know, so thank you for letting us know that we had an impact, and um, and then also I think about movies differently now because of all of the the hosts that we've had and all the guests oh, that yeah. we've had. You know, and so for me, I've learned so much. Like. I I have seen so many movies that I've either never seen before or that I'm revisiting with totally fresh eyes and by being able to talk with you you guys and everybody else that's come on about them I think it's made me a better movie watcher and it's kind of like raised my standards for what it is that I maybe expect about film and what I expect about the world and how I expect people to to create things and and be artists so I don't know I I I I I'm very thankful for this time it was very it was very wonderful so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my that's and, my sappy goodbye. And, and also, like, uh, uh, yeah, I agree with everything you just said, uh, and um, and second it. But also, when we started this thing five years ago, I, I don't, I, I forget how, what your experience was, Austin. But me and Jared had no clue what the fuck we were doing in terms of podcasting. I had never done a podcast, yeah. And I'm not very good at like public speaking, you know. So you've literally watched everyone out at home has been watching watching somebody who's not very articulate uh, 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 try to learn how to in real time to. 
podcast. So that's also something mm. that's been kind of a funny evolution. I don't think I'm that much better at it now as I'm rambling <laughs> through here at the finale. But uh, uh, you're but, you're certainly uh, one of the most relaxed podcasters I know. <laughs> you, <laughs> you you always that's one of my favorite moments we were talking about before. Uh, one of my favorite moments of SMTM is anytime we see Ryan smoke up <laughs> and, then, uh, and then like wave the stuff away and go, "Yep, totally." <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. I mean, because to me, this has always been just hanging out, like, like like it just happens to be recorded, but it's me hanging out with two buds, uh, talking talking about movies, which is you know, which is how it started and how I think it's ending. But there just happens to be oh, people watching it, you know. So hopefully, it was entertaining and 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 informative, which I know, which you guys definitely brought the informative shit. So I think this has been a great collaboration between everybody involved. Oh, and, and all the people. Let's shout out the people behind the scenes too, like Matt yeah. and stuff. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, Matt, our, our our producer for the last God, what has it been a year or something like that? I and then Joy, previous producers. Uh huh. Um. Yeah. 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 And we had so many awesome, cool people that were part of Wisecrack that came through too. Some of whom. Uh, who aren't even, I don't think, with the company anymore, who aren't producing content anymore, but who are just like academics or who are writers or whatever. And then we had lots of guests come on. Um, so we've had lots of like really kind of rad, rad experiences with some cool people come through. It's been great. Mike Burns was on. Alec was on. Uh, Hell yeah. Uh, Lux was on. J- Jared was on. Uh, 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 was Pete Davidson's best buddy was on. <laughs> yeah, was it, was it Dave? Dave? Dave something. Yeah, Helen, Amanda. Riley, yeah. Riley, yep, 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 been, yep. Claire, a, Claire was on back. Gr- in the oh, day. Greg Edwards. Greg it's Edwards. Been a great time. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess we're winding down here, so we can. Yeah, we're gonna kinda... we're gonna get caught reminiscing all night, guys. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, it's the last let's talk show, about... man. It is the last picture show. Um, let's talk a little bit about kind of what we've got coming up ahead. Um, we do also want to say we've been given the green light by uh, by people to plug a new show. And um, Raymond and I have been talking actually for a little while now about doing something. And um, Raymond, I don't know if you want to give people a little bit more uh, info, but we do have something live. We have recorded a first prologue episode but it is a new film podcast that um that we're going to be doing but it's going to be a little bit different than show me the meaning but while also hopefully appealing to you show me the meaning fans out there raymond can you just tell them what's up sure yeah we uh we touched on this briefly during last week's episode but like you said austin we uh we have a, a place for folks to land if they're interested in this new project um austin and i are doing a movie podcast called cinemathology uh, and it's kind of about the, uh, uh, as, uh, as I say in the prologue episode, kind of about the intersection between popcorn and poetry or, uh, or maybe cinema and mythology is a better way to put it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you can, you can check out the podcast on Twitter. Um, we, uh, we, we just started an account today. It's, uh, at cinemathology on Twitter, uh, just one word there. And uh, the the prologue episode is currently live on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I believe a handful of other podcatchers, but um, uh, we we haven't uh, ironed out all the creases yet because we we kind of had to put this thing on its feet pretty quickly when we we found out that this show was coming to an end. Um, but uh, yeah, like like I said last week, we're still gonna be talking movies, obviously, and uh, Austin will be there, so you're gonna get a, a good dose of philosophy, I'm sure, and you'll probably hear a lot more about the uh, 
the man of violence here and there or uh, wings of desire <laughs> here and there. Um, but we're going to do kind of like a, a season approach where rather than jumping from movie to movie, we're going to do really deep dives on certain directors and then maybe eventually uh, other professionals in the film industry. And our first season is going to be the entire narrative filmography of Martin Scorsese. So if that, uh, if, if, if that does anything for you, uh, we hope you, uh, you give it a follow, give it a listen. And, uh, yeah, like I said, the, the sort of appetizer is out there right now. We won't be able to start recording and releasing until May because Austin and I are pretty busy with some other engagements. Um, but we're both really, really excited about this. And, and, uh, we, we think it has a lot of potential to not only keep these kinds of conversations going, but, um, really take a, a a bigger look at uh, cinema history as a whole and kind of try and carry some narrative threads across different episodes rather than, like I said, jumping from movie to movie to movie. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're really excited. And, Ryan, we uh, we hope that you'll join us for a, an episode here and there, man. Hey, I'll be there, dude. I'm awesome. I, I, I love Marty. He may he 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 makes good pictures. I, 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 I like that money. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll be talking. A wonderful, a wonderful, a wonderful picture. A wonderful picture. We'll be talking about the pictures. Yeah. So that's out now. Like Raymond said, go uh, give us a follow on Twitter. Make sure you uh, subscribe on all the other places where you get your podcasts and stuff like that. And cinematology, C I N E M Y thology, cinema and mythology. So. That's right. So, uh, cinematology. Um, and yeah, and I'll be tweeting about that too. So, um, you can follow me on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden. Hit me up on Insta, AUS underscore H-A-Y. Uh, always got things going on. As someone said in the chat, thanks so much, by the way, for the shout. You can check out my philosophy podcast called Owls at Dawn. And that's pretty much how you can keep track of me. Ryan, where can people keep track of you in the future? Ryan Shorts. I just released a video today that's tricked most of the city of Memphis into believing that there's a water slide attached to the Bass Pro Shop Pyramid. So go check it out. Uh, uh, people have been calling them all day. I'm sorry, Bass Pro Shop Pyramid employees, but uh, go check out my commercial. Um, it's on Ryan Shorts on all the platforms. That video is my fucking ringtone, dude. <laughs> oh, you mean the, the, the old song? Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. Raymond, where can people find you and keep track of you besides Cinemathology? Yes, yeah. So in addition to at Cinemathology, last shameless plug, uh, you can find <laughs> me on Twitter and Letterboxd. I'm at Crematoria. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. We love you. Heavy hearts, but bright eyes. We're sending off. For the last time, Ryan, can you send us out of here? This has been the last picture show on the last podcast of Show Me the Meaning! Goodbye from Hollywood, California! <laughs> Goodbye. That was one for the ages. Peace out, those bears.